Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. About a month and a half ago, I had the joy of going with Triumphant Quartet over to um, the Billy Graham Cove and preaching a series of messages through um, the 23rd Psalm. And I tell you what, God moved in a big way on those few sessions we had together. And I remember thinking, man, I just wanna get home to be able to share this with our church family and for us to begin to walk through what is one of my favorite passages of scripture in all of the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, let's head to the 23rd Psalm together. And as you do so, I have a question for you. Is there something you do day in and day out that you do just because you've always done it. Think about that. Is there something you do day in to day out? You just do it because you've always done it. One of the things I think of the most is, is a phone call and you always end with love you, right? Or love you. And it's just as if it is, it is just off the tongue. And I'm talking to my mama, hey mama, love you. That's how we hang, my wife, I love you. Man, we do that all the time. But it gets a little awkward when you say I love you to somebody you didn't mean to say it to. Have you ever done that before? Like I have two brothers, one who's a pastor right down the road, and uh, we love each other deeply. He's, he's one of my best friends, but we don't say it. But every so often, I'll be talking to him. Go, man, you know, I'll talk on Sunday mornings. I'll go, hey man, praying you guys have a great service. All right, love you, man. Oh, sorry. I'll throw it out there because it's just that awkward moment where you said, I love you, you didn't mean to. And, uh, and it's just something we do every day. Well, growing up, my parents, my family had a prayer that ever since we were kids that we would pray. And it was just something we did because that's what they prayed growing up and it was something they taught us. And let me see if you know this prayer, you ready? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord, what? I see you know it too. Let's just stop there for a moment. Have you ever really listened to that prayer? Have you ever thought really of a child Praying that prayer. Listen, my earliest memories of childhood were of that prayer. And through the many counseling sessions, I've come to grips with what that prayer looks like in my life. But here's how it would go. We'd sit there in the bed and mom would come in and, and my brother and I had bunk beds. She said, all right, it's our prayer time. Mom walked around and she'd go, all right, let's start it out. Now I lay me down to sleep. We're starting good. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. What's a soul? And do I have it, right? Do I have one of those? And so we kind of had this idea that our soul's the thing that lives on forever. But here's where the prayer began to get really ugly. If I should die before I wait, what is going on, mama? What part of the world are we living in? If I should, and so here I am, my earliest memories, four or five years old. I'm praying, I love Tim Hawkins going through this. And I'm praying this prayer. If I should die before I wait, that is troubling for a kid to think through what's gonna happen to me. And it goes like this. I pray the Lord, my soul to take. I don't want him taking my soul. I just want to go to sleep, right? I'm just a kid. I want to go to sleep. No takey, takey my soul, Lord, right? I don't want this to happen. And that is the prayer we prayed every night. And I'm going to be honest with you. There was a lot of pressure with that prayer. A lot of uncertainty in my life. And then here's what mom would do. She kisses on the cheek. She'd head for the door and she'd say, all right, I love you, Anthony and Beeper. That's what we called my brother. That was his nickname. I love you guys. 
We said, I love you, Mom. She goes, sleep tight. And don't let the bed bugs bite. What are we doing here, Mama? <laughs> what? No, I got to worry about the Lord taking my soul and dying in my sleep. And now you're talking bed bugs. And I'm going to tell you, as a child, this was a pretty heavy prayer for me. But you know what? We prayed it because it's what we did. It's just, it's just what we did because we knew how to do. Listen, sometimes when it comes to the 23rd Psalm, I'm afraid we find ourselves in the very same position. If you've been around the church scene or you've been around church for a while, maybe you've buried somebody you've loved, we always take part and engage the 23rd Psalm at a funeral time, don't we? At a graveside when someone's being buried. It's an incredible scripture that gives incredible comfort in times like that. But I want you to hear me. The 23rd Psalm is not just a Psalm reserved for times of death. Rather, as we begin to unpack it, we are going to find that the 23rd Psalm is a song of life. It's a song of life for us and not something we should just visit in times of death. So for the next few weeks, we're gonna camp out right here in the 23rd Psalm. We're gonna look through every word. We're gonna look through every passage of scripture in this incredible Psalm. And here's what we're gonna find, the wealth that is life coming out of this passage of scripture. So we're gonna begin to dig in. And here's my promise to you. If it's not already, the 23rd Psalm is gonna be one of your favorite passages of scripture in the Bible and something you will want to commit to memory and something you will want to visit every single day of your life. So open your Bibles, let's dig in. And here's the truth of what we're going to come away with today. You ready? You say, Anthony, what's the chief end of your message today? This statement, this truth, this reality, you ready? Jesus is all I need. So we're going to walk away with today. Jesus is all I need. Say that with me. Jesus is all I need. That's the very truth we find here in the 23rd Psalm. The Bible says this in verse one. It says, the Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Hey, by the way, that's all of this Psalm we're gonna dig into today. Just those few words. A Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, when you have kids, and my kids help memorize this scripture, and uh, when you have kids and people begin to, to memorize a passage like this, here's where they always begin. If you say, recite the 23rd Psalm, they'll say, well, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes, now listen, we breeze by a very important part of this Psalm, and that's the very title itself, a Psalm of David. It gives us the very context. It gives us the very heart of where this psalm comes from. And so this morning, I want us to camp out just there for a moment, a psalm of David. And the question comes, what credence does David have to write a psalm? What, what background, what story has he lived that he gets to write scripture? What street cred does David have to even write something that you and I would have any care for today? And that's an interesting question because here's what we do. We first are introduced to David in the Bible and guess what, guess what he's doing? He's a shepherd. Our first introduction to King David is that of a shepherd boy. He was the youngest of his brothers when Samuel came on behalf of God to anoint a new king over Israel. He defied culture. And he went with the very will of God and it wasn't the older brothers of David that would be anointed. It would be David himself anointed as the king. And so here he was, David, a young boy, 
out in the field with the sheep who has now been anointed by God as king, a man after God's own heart, and now he is being summoned from the fields where he is keeping watch over the sheep. So when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, David is a shepherd, and he knows exactly the very context in which he speaks. Now we live in a culture that's not agrarian by its very nature. We don't live in an agricultural born, not everybody works out, out in the agricultural field. And so this kind of language, this imagery is hard for us, but for King David, it was his life. And I love what it says, this is a Psalm of David. The word Psalm there is easily translated this way, song. So if you can imagine with me, a Psalm is a song that is meant to be sung and was done so by David. I jotted this down and I love this, it's a song. David was not the lead singer, yet the Holy Spirit was. Yet David harmonized with the Spirit of God through inspiration to give us a song that transcends the ages, not merely a scripture reference in a time of death, but rather a song of life. Now I know that I'm preaching to the choir here but I wanna tell you this, I love music. I, I love the chord it strikes in my heart. I love the worship it facilitates in my life. And I love the truth that is contained in its message. David the king, the shepherd king, writes a song. And I begin to ask this question. What in his resume gives him any credence in even writing this? What is it in his songwriting career that gives him something to write that you and I would wanna pay any attention to? And even though David was known as their man after God's own heart and the king of Israel, his story sounds far more like a country song than it does a praise and worship song. Let me just share some instances from his life. David's predecessor, King Saul, got so jealous over David's victories and his success that for month after month, he hunted down young David. David had to live his life in fear and in uncertainty and as an outlaw. Although he had been anointed king and called as king, he lived his life as an outlaw for month after month after month because of the jealousy of King Saul. I look at David's life and I think about this that at some season in his life in a time where kings went off to war, David stayed home. He looked at a woman who was not his wife and he wanted her, he had her. In fact, she became pregnant with his child. And this very same king of Israel, man after God's own heart, this shepherd king arranged that her hero of a husband would be killed to cover up his sin. That's part of his resume. That's part of his background. Their child, they conceived, would die. And he lost his kid. I go on, I look further on in his, in his family and I begin to see such tragedy. David might have been a good king of Israel in seasons, but it seemed that as a father, he lacked discipline. His own son Amnon raped his sister, David's daughter, and was killed by Absalom. David's son Absalom would later lead a revolt and rebellion against David. And although it failed, Absalom was later murdered. And here David looks at his family and everything seems lost. And that's just scratching the surface of the hurts that David knew. 
And so when we come to this song that he writes, here's what I begin to understand, and you know this well, that the best songs that are written come sometimes from the greatest hurts that people have experienced in their life. And that is the very resume David carries into his songwriting career and with the 23rd Psalm. It says this, a Psalm of David, and listen to how he begins his song, you ready? It says this, the Lord. He begins his song with the Lord. Hey, let me ask you this, have you begun to sing yet? Has your new life in Christ begun? Because I'm gonna tell you this, in what I know of my 37 years, that the best things always begin with the Lord. That the best things always begin with him. And that is how David begins his song, the Lord. Now, I wanna teach you a little something about the Old Testament and the names of God. There are really three names that are used for God in the Old Testament. There's Elohim, which is quite popular. It's used over 2,500 times. And if you read your Old Testament, that name for God is capital G-O-D. You read it as God in your Old Testament, it's Elohim. There's Adonai, it is used far less in the Old Testament. In fact, under 400 times is it used, but it's translated in your Bible in the Old Testament as capital L, lowercase O-R-D, Lord. But then there's the name Yahweh for God in the Old Testament. It's used over 6,800 times. And here's what we know about the name Yahweh, you ready? Is that it is the personal name for God. And in Psalm 23, that's the very name that David uses to start his song. The very name he begins to sing with is the very personal name of God. It was not a God who was abstract or some lofty thought for David. He knew him, he loved him. And I just have a question for you. Do you know the Lord? Do you love him? Is he your song that you sing? Is he your life? Well, we begin to see that David begins this psalm in a pretty incredible way, calling upon the one that he loved. Here's what I do as a believer. You say, Anthony, this is Old Testament. Now, what does this have to do with me today? Well, here's the truth. Every time I read the 23rd Psalm, I'm gonna tell you, church, I can't help but to think of Jesus. Every time I sing this song of Psalm 23, I can't help but to be reminded of the Lord. And I ask this question, so what's in a name? What's in a name? And I wanna say this to you, everything, everything is in the name. Did you know that for Jesus, do you know that Jesus is Yahweh? In the Old Testament, do you know that Jesus is Yahweh, God in the flesh? Listen to how Paul describes Jesus in Philippians chapter two to the church. Now, understand this, Paul himself is a student of the Old Testament and watch as he quotes Isaiah 45 here in Philippians chapter two and watch what he infers here, you ready? In Philippians chapter two, verse nine, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue proclaim 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What Paul is doing is he is quoting Isaiah 45 and saying that Jesus is the very point of Isaiah 45. And guess what name Isaiah uses for God in Isaiah 45? Yahweh. Yahweh is is Jesus in the flesh. And what we find here in Psalm 23 is that as we begin to sing this song, we have no recourse but to be reminded of Jesus. But what's in a name? Everything's in a name. I, I went through and I just, I began to write down some things that the Bible says about Jesus, some names he goes by. And I wanna read something to you right now. You know, in Revelation chapter one, he is known as the Almighty One. In Revelation chapter two, the Alpha and the Omega. He's the advocate of First John, the author and perfecter of our faith in Hebrews 12. He is the authority in Matthew 28, the bread of life in John chapter six. He is the beloved son of God in Matthew three, the bridegroom of Matthew chapter nine. He's the chief cornerstone of Psalm 118. He is the deliverer in First Thessalonians, the faithful and true Revelation 19, the great high priest of Hebrews chapter four. He's the head of the church in Ephesians chapter one. He's the holy servant of Acts chapter four. He is the I am of John eight. He is Emmanuel of Isaiah seven, the indescribable gift of second Corinthians nine. He's the judge in Acts chapter 10. He's the king of kings in Revelation chapter 17. He's the lamb of God in John chapter one. We go on and we find he's the light of the world in John eight. The Lion of the tribe of Judah in Revelation chapter 5. He's the Lord of all in Philippians chapter 2. He's the mediator of 1 Timothy 2, the Messiah of John chapter 1. He's the mighty one of Isaiah chapter 60. He's the one who sets free in our hope in 1 Timothy 1. He is our peace in Ephesians 2, our prophet in Mark chapter 6, the redeemer in Job chapter 19, the risen Lord of 1 Corinthians 15. He is the rock of 1 Corinthians 10. He is the sacrifice for our sins in 1 John 4, the Savior in Luke 2. He's the Son of Man in Luke chapter 19. He's the Son of the Most High in Luke 1, the Supreme Creator overall in Colossians 1. He's the resurrection and the life in John 11. He is the door in John 10, the way in John 14, the Word in John chapter 1, the true vine in John chapter 15. He is the truth of John chapter 8, the victorious one of Revelation chapter 3. He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, and everlasting Prince of Peace in Isaiah chapter nine. Hey, what's in a name? You see, everything's in a name. I'm gonna catch my breath. But here's my favorite church. In John chapter 10, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Oh, the name of Jesus. Oh, the name of Jesus. Did you know that in Acts 4.12, the Bible would say salvation is found and no other name, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Church, hear me, there's just something about his name. And every time I sing the 23rd Psalm, I I'm reminded of Jesus. And I challenge you to let the song of your life begin there with him. As you read your Old Testament, you're gonna find that oftentimes that 
the Bible will take the name of God and it'll pair it with another name. For let me give you some for instances here. You have Yahweh. Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. It was the name given to Moses as he called upon an altar and built an altar there celebrating Israel's God-given victory over the Amalekites in Exodus chapter 17. There's Yahweh Rophi, which means my healer. The Lord is my healer. It appears in Exodus chapter 15 when Israel was assured that God, their healer, would prevent diseases of Egypt from coming upon them. There's Yahweh Jireh, meaning the Lord is my provider. We find this in Genesis 22, as Abraham gave the name of the place where God provided a substitute for his son Isaac, whom Abraham was to offer as a sacrifice to God. There's Yahweh Shalom, meaning the Lord is my peace. It's the name Gideon gave to the altar he built when the angel of the Lord came to him and gave him the order that the Midianites, that God would fight with them. But then we come to Psalm 23, and we find this name, Yahweh Rahi, that the Lord is my shepherd. And I love the imagery used here by David, himself a shepherd, to talk about his God. Now I want us to bring in a buddy of mine over here, this little sweetheart. Come on up here. Y'all take a look back there. Look at as she comes on up here. Now I'm gonna confess something to you. I don't know why, but I'm a little scared of sheep, okay? So you're gonna notice that here in a little bit, but we have somebody who's gonna help us paint a picture here. Come on up here, CJ. And this is Salt. Uh, this is our little sheep today. Uh, her name is Salt. Hey, sweetheart. Hey, sweetheart, how are you? Listen, we'll have a potty break here in a minute, okay? Not on stage here. I love what David does here in this passage in the 23rd Psalm, is that he begins to liken his relationship with the Lord to that of a shepherd and a sheep, knowing full well the importance of that relationship. It was natural imagery for, for David to use here in the 23rd Psalm. And when we talk about Psalm 23, and every time we sing it, it reminds us of Jesus. And here's why. Because in John 10, we know this about Jesus, that he's the good shepherd. In Hebrew chapter 13, the Bible says he's the great shepherd. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, he is the chief shepherd. But in just a couple of months, I'll be in Israel. And one of the things that we'll begin to notice in Israel is there's still some Bedouin shepherds that work the sheep out in Israel. And what's incredible about their job, and I'll just kind of do a nutshell for you of what their job is, but the shepherd would take these sheep, domesticated over 5,000 years ago, used for their meat and their milk and ultimately the material, their wool that their, their coats produced. That these domesticated animals would be fully reliant upon their shepherd. So every morning a shepherd in Palestine would wake up and a son would come up, he'd go to his sheep and he'd begin to tend his sheep. He'd count them and make sure they were all there. And then he would get them all grouped together and leading out in front, he would walk these sheep to a pastor that could support them all day. And he would stand out in that pasture and he would watch his sheep all day. He'd take careful count from time to time to make sure not one of his sheep would wander off. And when one of them would wander off, the shepherd would leave all the other sheep behind and he would search until he found the one sheep he had been missing. He'd bring the sheep back to the fold 
And there he would begin because of Palestine and the type of sheep that David speaks up here in the 23rd Psalm. His job would also consist of leading those sheep from the pasture to small streams or, or maybe dug up wells in the wilderness to where time and time again, these sheep could drink. His job during the day was to make sure that there were no predators that would threaten his sheep. Even to this day in Israel, for Bedouin shepherds, there are leopards and wolves who would love nothing more than to have a snack that looks a lot like this. And the shepherd's job was to fight them off. There are people who made money off of stealing sheep. And so at times the shepherd would go and he would, he would fight off the thieves that would come for his sheep. And then as the day would cut, draw near, he'd make sure he had all his sheep and they'd begin to walk back to their pen where they would be staying. And he would take his rod and he would hold it over the door of that gating area where the sheep were to be held. And he would count each one of them one by one to make sure that not a one of them were missing. And now his day wouldn't always end there. Oftentimes the shepherd would lay down with his sheep at night, making sure they were protected and cared for. That no animal of prey, that no thief in the night would make off with one of his sheep. And this is the very picture and the imagery that we find in the 23rd Psalm of our relationship with the Lord, the incredible care of a shepherd to the sheep that have been entrusted to him. Let's give it up for Saul, all right, and CJ this morning. Thank you guys so much. I, was, I am far braver in this service than I was the last service with her. She made eye contact with me the last service and I thought, She's got an attitude. And, uh, we, but we worked it out in the meantime and we're so grateful uh, for them coming out today. Here, here's what we begin to notice about these sheep and two things that I want you to notice about, about our salt friend right there. Two things that stick out to me about these sheep. Number one, they are almost entirely dependent upon their shepherd to live. Domesticated sheep are entirely dependent upon their shepherd for life. And here's the second thing I notice about them, that they are defenseless without their shepherd. That sheep right there doesn't have a whole lot of defenses. Now she can kick a little. She might try to bite. She might try to, to ram you. But I'm going to tell you honestly, she's pretty defenseless. And as David begins to write this song of the 23rd Psalm, we begin to see that the shepherd king was at a place where he was very keenly aware of his great need for the shepherd that is Yahweh or God, the Lord, in his life. Now, I want you to hear me. This message is not culturally at a place where it's widely accepted because we live in a culture that celebrates independence. We live in a culture that says defenseless. I can take care of myself and I don't need anybody else. But what's amazing to me is that King David comes here and he sits down and he begins to write to Psalm. It says, I may be the most powerful man in all of the land, but here's where I see myself, you ready? That without my shepherd, I'm nothing. And without him, I'm defenseless. And I'm gonna tell you something, I'm a big guy. I like to think that I'm strong. I can beat all of my daughters in wrestling, seven, five, and three. 
But honestly, when I sing this song, Psalm 23, you know what I really am reminded of? That I am dependent in every way on Jesus. And without him, spiritually, I am defenseless. And I'll be honest with you, I'm okay with that. And David, the most powerful man in the land, was okay with that. Listen to what he says. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. How many of us can sing that song today? That Jesus is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, back in 1965, long before any of you guys were born, back in 1965, there was a Southern gospel music group called the Rolling Stones. And uh, they, uh, they come out with a song. And, and I want y'all to help me finish this chorus. You ready? Here's And I tried, and I tried, and I tried. I can't get no bunch of hypocrite people and backslidden, listen to all that worldly music. I can't get no satisfaction. Now, I begin to think of this, and I thought of this verse. I begin to think about the Rolling Stones, which I don't do much. But they were men of great wealth. I think of them, they had great fame. They deprived them of themselves of nothing that they wanted. They had everything they could ever want. And their anthem was that nothing they had could satisfy I begin to think of my generation. I begin to think of our culture. And isn't that the anthem of America today? I tried. I tried. And I try. I can't get nothing that'll satisfy me. I jotted this down. Why is that our anthem? Why is that oftentimes the song we sing instead of the 23rd song? Here's what I, here's the conclusion I came to. Why? Because there's no substitute. There's no substance. There's no sordid affair. There's no secret relationship. There's no success. There's no sum of money. There's nothing in all creation that could satisfy you and me like Jesus can. There is nothing. I love what David sings. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Literally that word in the Hebrew means I lack nothing. I lack nothing because of my shepherd. I begin to think about David and his writing resume. And he was able to sing even though he knew great loss. He was able to sing even though his sin was great. He was able to sing even though he hurt. He was able to sing the 23rd song because he knew that if he had his shepherd, no matter who or what he faced, he had all he ever needed in his shepherd. He lacked nothing in the arms and the care of his shepherd. And I just wonder this this morning. Are you able to sing that song? Now, mornings like this, I can sing it loud and proud. But you know, I know 
there are days where it's very hard to sing this song. But that's where this song matters the most. That's where it matters the most. Y'all know a few weeks ago, my, my Nana passed away. She's this 83-year-old. You know, Subway has that spicy Italian sandwich. Well, she was the real-life spicy Italian, okay? She was, man, she was, she'd get with it. Love my Nana. I shared with you guys when she passed that uh, got a chance to speak at her burial. And, and what, was, what was so cool is we're about 10 months old as a church, and uh, when we launched our church on September 30th of last year, my Nana, for the first time, and all three of her grandsons are pastors, but for the first time, she shows up in a church that we're preaching at. And in fact, a lot of my family did. And she sat, they said, be right where you are. And she was in her wheelchair. She's been in the nursing home for years. And uh, I remember preaching that morning. And I remember giving the invitation for the gospel and just praying that God would do a work in my grandmother's life. I didn't know she knew the Lord. We talked about him a lot, but I just never sensed that she really knew him. Knew a lot about him. She didn't know him. I remember giving the invitation that morning and, and how I'll even do today is I'll say, listen, I won't embarrass you or come to you, but this morning, if you've asked Jesus to save you, would you just look up here at me? I just, just want to see your eyes. And my 83-year-old grandmama, sitting right there, looked up at me with tears in her eyes and shared with me that she had given her heart and her life to Jesus. Man, I'm gonna tell you, what a joy. Especially since just months later, she would close her eyes in death. Now she was Catholic in her upbringing and so when it came to the funeral service, me and my brother said, we were hands off, right? We couldn't quite do the Catholic mass for her. But the burial was all ours. And so we got to celebrate my grandmother's life at her burial. Now, you guys may not know this, but I have a brother who's a little younger than I am, less than a year, and he's a pastor down the road at Oak City Baptist Church. And um, anyway, we were, we were in charge of doing her burial service. And I said, man, why don't you go ahead and why don't you go first? I'll close this out and you, you just kind of take care of the scripture. And so he got up there in his skinny jeans and his skinny suit. Man, just looked great. And he was up there with his Bible. I mean, everything matched. And anyway, he was up there. He, listen, he did an incredible job with the word. I mean, I think he preached the whole Bible. We were there for about four days and he preached the whole, and I hope he'll watch this later on. He preached the whole gospel and did it, just a fantastic job. Well, at the end of it, he, he decided he wanted to be a little bit funny. And it wasn't. He said, you know, hey, uh, since I'm a Baptist pastor and there, there's so many people here, I feel like we should take up an offering. And I was like, and so I did the courtesy. I was like, oh, yeah, that was great. Um, anyway, and then it was my turn. So it, it just sunk from there. And I, I walked up and I said, you know, I said, uh, I want to share with you one piece of one passage that means the world to me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I told our family, many of whom don't know Jesus, I said, the day that my Nana sat right here and she gave her life to Jesus to the moment she closed her eyes in death, she never wanted for anything else because Jesus is all she needs and is all she has, even right now. And then I needed to redeem my brother's bad joke. And so I said, you know, honestly, we ought to take up an offering today. 
because there's one group of people that are hurting far worse than any of our family here today, than any of our friends that are standing here around her casket today. And that's Harris Cherokee Casino because my grandmother loved to gamble. And I'm gonna tell you something, they are hurting today because that little lady died and her picture has to be all over the casino, right? She kept them afloat. She just loved it. And so I rescued my brother's bad joke. But you know what, that day, it was my heartbeat to speak some life to people. And I knew the 23rd Psalm would speak it all. I wanna close with this story. Y'all know well, well that a few weeks ago, a 21-year-old guy in the life of our church, Seth, who sat right where, where you guys are right there, um, he sat there in the first service. He had a cardiac event. Jay, you know all about this. You've seen this. It, that kills five, that kills, listen, in fact, no, let me restate it that only five people out of every thousand who suffer it will live. I mean, it is a deadly, deadly cardiac event. He was out fishing and he suddenly dropped and his heart stopped. CPR for a long time. And in fact, the guy who, was, who saved his life was right next to him this morning, sitting there, who did CPR the whole way. Well, I, I share this story because when I got the word that Seth had passed out on the boat, and so I sent Pastor Justin over there. And I, I've known Seth for years and he's a good friend. I said, listen, Pastor Justin, you go over and see Seth. Call him a sissy and give him a glass of water and tell him to drink water next time you go fishing on a hot day. That's what we thought. He just passed out because he got too hot. Well, soon it was very evident to us that he was, in, he was fighting for his life. So I rushed up to Blunt Memorial, the closest hospital to the lake where he was. And I've been doing hospitals for 20 years. Been in the hospital all week this week. I've seen people in every stage of life. I've watched people die. Um, when I got to the hospital, I walked into the room and I saw this 21 handsome, strong young man on a ventilator, unresponsive, and having seizures to no end. He was having seizures and he there was no ceasing. He was completely unresponsive on a ventilator and he was seizing off the bed. And not just for five minutes or 10, but for every moment they did not have him in a medically induced coma. He was having seizures. I remember I walked in the room. I seen a lot of things, but it was bad. I just, I began to choke up. And I told him this morning, I said, it was so bad, I went over to his bedside. And I told Seth, we're not gonna have any more eye contact today. But I kissed him on his forehead. And I held his shoulder. And I hugged him. And I just began to weep, because here's the deal, church. In my mind, I knew that he was dying, and there was no recovery. I knew it. And I, I cried with the family, and he was, and the doctor's literally saying, we don't know what this is. We're gonna see if we can get him transferred over to UT or Fort Sanders. We, we don't know what it is, but he was in bad shape. And I remember the doctor walked out and they're all crying. It's so hard to see him like this. And so I said, family, let's gather around him. So I got on this side of him and I held his head and his body's just seizing off, off the bed he was in. And I held his arm and I said, guys, you know what? We need to talk to him like he can hear us. And we need to remind him of Jesus. Because in my mind, he was gonna see him soon.
And so I got around him and I got it to his head and I began to quote the 23rd Psalm to him. And I didn't just quote it, but I said, you know, this Psalm of David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Hey, Seth, I want you to hear me, buddy. The Lord's your shepherd. He's watching out for you even right now. He loves you and he cares for you. The Lord is my shepherd, the 23rd Psalm says. I shall not be in want. I said, hey, Seth, buddy, you need to know and I know it seems scary to everybody around here, but even right now, you want for nothing because you have Jesus. And do you know what happened? As soon as we started praying that scripture over him, for the first and the only time outside of a medically induced coma, his body stopped seizing. And we walked through the whole psalm with him. And we just reminded him of what Jesus and who Jesus is to him. And for the entire time, and I had my hand on his back and on his chest, there wasn't a quiver in him. He was completely still. And his family wept, and we cried, and we prayed over him. And then the doctor came back in the room, and the nurses, he was in ICU, so the nurses were, were having to do more things to him to get him ready to transfer him. And we kind of walked away from him. The doctor was telling us what was going on. And the minute... We stopped reading through the psalm to him. His body began to have seizures again until finally they put him into a medically induced coma. And I remember thinking the whole reason I read that scripture over him was because I thought very soon he was gonna be with Jesus. And I was reminded even as I am this morning as we sing the 23rd Psalm together that this is so much more than a song that is reserved for times of death but it is a song of life for every believer. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a shepherd? Better yet, do you know the good shepherd? Let's do this. Let's take you out of the context of a building where a church meets and let's put you on the hospital bed that Seth laid in. you have a shepherd, even in that moment where you can lay there and be in no want because of what Jesus has done for you. I'm going to tell you the greatest miracle about Seth is not that two days later, defying all odds, that boy got up in the hospital room and started walking. Let me tell you the greater miracle was the day that boy placed his faith and trust in Jesus. And Jesus gave him new life. So whether God decided to heal him on that bed that day, or he healed him in eternity, the song forever will be on Seth's heart. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Can you sing that song this morning? Let's pray together, can we? As we pray, I just wonder, who is it here this morning that says, Anthony, I need him. I need Jesus to save me. I need him to give me new life. I need him to change me. I wonder who it is this morning, and you need a shepherd, and not just any shepherd, but the good shepherd, the great shepherd. 
You need Jesus. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.